Well, I grew up going to a really conservative um, Christian school. There's a lot of good things about that. But one of the things that I was thinking about the other day is that there was such a strong emphasis on what you wear, what music you listen to, the way that you talk, so many other things that at times it was easy to get your eyes focused on the rules rather than on Jesus. In fact, I remember when I was a senior in high school, my good friend got a a fresh haircut. He was real excited about it, thought he was looking really good, showed up at school. The principal didn't like it. He had a, like a line on his head right here, like, you know, I think he got like a one right here, real short, and then it was a little longer here. It was like a two. And the principal's like, we don't allow those kind of haircuts. You got to go get your hair redone and all that. Pretty amazing. The, to- the hair could not touch the collar. I don't know whoever came up with that rule, but that, that was just the rule and whatever it was. You know, skirts have to come down this far for the girls and all that kind of stuff. I got a little older, though, and I realized that being a Christian was not about following the rules. Being a Christian is about keeping your eyes on Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christian. It's not about what the principal says or what the classmates say or what the teachers say or maybe even what everybody else says. Being a a Christian is about keeping your eyes focused on Jesus and his amazing grace. And years later, I had a grace revolution, and I began to understand all of the Bible and the person of Jesus through the lens of God's amazing, amazing grace. God's amazing grace. Luke chapter 7 is one of those passages that expresses the incredible grace of God. Uh, Jesus is in the home of a man named uh, Simon the Pharisee. Simon is uh, somebody that's a detractor to Jesus. He's, he's a cynic. He's, he's a critic. And he invites Jesus to dinner, not because he wants to bless Jesus or learn from Jesus. He wants to find fault with Jesus. And so he's got Jesus at the dinner table, <clears throat> undoubtedly with some other uh, religious leaders of Judaism. The Pharisees were that religious sect of Judaism that kept all of the rules of Moses, and then they added like 600 rules on top of the law of Moses, and they came up with all these other rules. And so these guys are obviously extremely disturbed by Jesus because Jesus is known as the friend of sinners. Did you know Jesus was given the name friend of sinners as, as, as a criticism, but actually Jesus received that as a compliment? <laughs> He's like, yes, I am the friend of sinners. <laughs> yes, I am. So Jesus is reclining at the table in the ancient world. A table, a dinner table, was maybe a foot or two off the ground. People would eat reclining on pillows. And when a celebrity came to town, everybody in the community was welcome to listen in. So the big guns are at the table, but everybody else can can listen to the theological debates or the teachings or whatever's going on. People didn't have Netflix, they didn't have Nintendo Switch, and so it was a pretty big deal when a rabbi or a teacher such as Jesus was was in the town. The windows would be left open, the doors would be left open, everybody could hear, 
And women were not invited to the dinner, but they could listen in. Now, can you just imagine like taking a selfie with Jesus in the background or, you know, how cool that would be just like to kind of just listen in and see what Jesus is talking about. Something Jesus said, though, invoked a dramatic response in a woman who was listening. We don't know exactly what Jesus said that caused such a dramatic expression from this from this dear woman. But but something happened, a spark uh, began to come, become a flame in her own life. And she responds in a very public way. The Bible describes her as a woman who was a sinful woman. That's Bible code for a prostitute or an adulteress. She was a woman that had a shady reputation. Everybody in town knew about her. Uh, when she was walking down the street, people whispered. People kept their distance from her. She was somebody that was intimidating, somebody who people feared, uh, somebody that you did not want to be friends with. She was a sinful woman. And in Luke chapter 7, verse 36, the story begins by saying, Then one of the Pharisees invited him to eat with them, and he entered the Pharisee's house, and he reclined at the table, and a woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house and she brought an alabaster jar of perfume and she stood behind him at his feet weeping and began to wash his feet with her tears and she wiped his feet with her hair kissing them and anointing them with perfume. And I want us to see three expressions of grace, three responses, three marks of a grace-filled life And the first is simply this. The grace-filled life is a life that is filled with passionate worship. It's filled with passionate worship. Now, this woman uh, is not casual about coming to find Jesus. I mean, look at it. She's weeping. She is giving. She is serving. She is so focused on Jesus, she doesn't even care what anybody else thinks. Now, let me remind you, just back to the, to the dinner table here in the ancient world, when, when a celebrity came to town, everybody got to listen in, but that didn't mean that everybody got to crash the party. So the woman is, is, is uninvited in the sense that she's not supposed to be at the table interacting with Jesus. All of a sudden, she breaks all of the cultural norms. She runs home. She grabs her alabaster jar. And she begins to worship at the feet of Jesus. Now, Simon the Pharisee is like, who is this? Who does she think she is? This isn't her party. She wasn't invited. There's no place for her. Furthermore, uh, she's a woman with a very questionable reputation. And and I can just imagine that Simon the Pharisee is not really excited about having the the prostitute come and and, uh, interact with his guest. But this woman is so caught up in what Jesus has done for her, it's almost as if the entire world had come to a screeching halt and she was there passionately and devotedly with Jesus. Now, when a guest came to to your house in ancient times, you would first wash their feet. You would have a servant 
that we usually wash the feet. People didn't have paved roads. People wore sandals. And you could just imagine all the grit and grime and all the stuff on your, on your feet and on your legs. And so you want people to be comfortable, right? And so you, you, would, you would help people wash their feet. And it was a, it was a great way to, to, to bring comfort to people. Um, when somebody comes over to your house, you treat them as a guest. You know, you offer them some food. You offer them some drink. You want to make sure they're comfortable. If they're allergic to animals, you put the pets in the basement, you know. Um, you, 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 you might serve a certain meal to that person that you know is the kind of food that they like. You might have their favorite kind of snacks. I don't know. You want people to feel comfortable. Simon the Pharisee doesn't do this with Jesus. In the following verses that we'll see in a little bit, he doesn't treat Jesus in this way. Uh, he has him over to dinner and he starts grilling him. But guess what? The woman begins to do what the host is supposed to do, and she washes his feet with her own tears. Um, secondly, uh, a host would pour oil on the uh, head of the guest uh, because this was a way to kind of freshen things up, right? Now, you're, you can imagine people don't have bathtubs, they don't have showers, they don't have deodorant, they don't have hand sani, you know? And so... People are sweaty because they've been traveling. And so kind of a way to cut down on the BO was pour a little olive oil on your head and you could kind of freshen up a little bit. And the Pharisee doesn't offer this to Jesus. He doesn't. I mean, again, he's kind of disrespecting Jesus. Um, hosts also greeted their guests with a kiss. This was a sign of affection and friendship. The Man, Simon, the Pharisee, doesn't do this. The woman is kissing the feet of Jesus. Do you see it? And the point here is that the sinful woman was extending the hospitality that the host was supposed to offer. What made her do this? It was grace. It was grace. There was something in the teaching of Jesus. There was something that was said that, that allowed her to understand God's plan for her life that she had never beheld before. And her service to Jesus was personal. I mean, she begins to worship. She begins to, to serve. Worship is valuing Jesus above all else. And she begins to, to, to personally interact with Jesus. Did you know that Jesus wants to personally interact with you? I mean, Jesus doesn't want to have a relationship with you that is just generic. Like, I love all of the people in the universe, you know, kind of thing. God does love all the people in the universe, but God wants to know you. God wants to personally interact with you. And here this woman is having this beautiful experience of worship. She is interacting with the Son of God, and her life is forever changed. Her worship was fervent. There's no hesitating. She didn't care how it looked. She knew what people would say about her, but her whole soul went out in love, and she acted accordingly. Her worship was spontaneous. It was unrehearsed. I don't think that this woman sat around going, you know what, Jesus is going to be here in six hours. What could I do to put on a show? No, I think she was just kind of caught up in the moment of worship. Did you know that worship is not something that just occurs at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning? There's moments when our heart is touched by the grace of God that leads us to spontaneous expressions of gratitude and thanksgiving to God. It's, it's not planned. This woman didn't say, you know, I'm going to cry at X time. 
No, it was beautiful, man. It was just spontaneous. Sometimes you got to just be in the moment of worship. You got to just be in that expression. You got to be in that in that time that that God has put before you. And she's 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 responding and her love is so strong that she cannot restrain herself. Let me ask you a question. When is the last time that you wept over your sin or you wept over your salvation? These are these are responses that may not happen all the time, but we should have some kind of feeling and emotion and something that that touches our heart, that drives us to Jesus. Um, And I love this example of this woman because she serves. She serves the Lord. Serving is an expression of worship. When you serve, you worship. When you worship, oftentimes you will serve. And God wants you to use the gifts that you have been given. That's why we have a whole class here at Edge Church called Edge 301, where we help people learn how to serve and to use their God-given talents and gifts. Now, the servant mindset is also seen in this woman because she puts Jesus above her preferences. See, too many people today think that worship is about a style of music or it's about a denomination or it's about you know, the dress or it's, it's about the environment or whatever. No, worship is about Jesus. It's about putting Jesus above everything else. Jesus is before all preferences. How silly is that of us to think that our preferences are more important than Jesus? Jesus is the focus. Jesus is the purpose. Jesus is what is the direction of our life. And... We need God's grace. The point here is not that the Pharisee sinned a little and needed a little help from Jesus and that the the prostitute had sinned a lot. No, both had sinned. The Pharisee had the sin of pride and arrogance and he thought he had earned and deserved the favor of God by all of the religious accolades that he had accomplished. The woman, on the other hand, tried to find her purpose in having sexual relationships. And both were wrong. And both needed a savior. And both needed grace to fill their life. Grace is so amazing. When we have grace in our worship, we will never feel like that worship is a drudgery. I hope when you get up on Sunday morning and you think about coming to church, that you don't think, oh, it's just another Sunday. I need to be at the house of God. I hope you come with an expectation and an enthusiasm and excitement to come in and to celebrate the resurrected Son of God who's touched your heart in grace. What a great opportunity that we have. When you read your Bible, when you pray, uh, do you look forward to that? Is, that? is that something you do out of religious obligation or is it something you do because you love the grace that God has bestowed to you? So there's passionate worship. There's sacrificial giving. Here's the second thing. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to wash his feet with her tears. And she wiped his feet with her hair, kissing them and anointing them with perfume. So she brings a sacrificial gift. Now, in other passages in the Gospels, an alabaster jar was worth one year's wage. Okay, so just think about that for a moment. Whatever you make in a year, what if you had that in a perfume? How would that be? 
You'll be like, that's some spendy perfume, isn't it? That's not brute by Fabergé, amen? Yeah. I mean, this is the good stuff. This is the really good stuff. And an alabaster is a kind of stone that's found in Israel, and, it, and it's so strong and, and such a dynamic stone that it, it, it prohibits the perfume from losing its, its, its potency. You know, it keeps it fresh, so to speak. So people would keep this for a long time. And, and perfume was used like this only in three instances. When people died, okay, which, by the way, Jesus is about to die, it was used for kings, Okay, Jesus is a king, amen? And it was used for a priest, and Jesus is a priest, right? Hebrews tells us that. So it's, it, there's a beautiful imagery here that you see going on with the perfume. But what this woman gives to Jesus is expensive, man. It's a sacrificial gift. In another instance in the Gospel of John, uh, Judas Iscariot criticizes another woman for anointing Jesus with an alabaster jar, uh, with spending too much on Jesus and not enough on the poor. And, and Jesus corrects him. And Jesus receives the worship of that woman in John chapter 12. Well, Jesus receives the sacrificial gift and the worship of this woman in Luke chapter 7. He receives it because he understands this. The sacrificial giving is not obligation. It is always opportunity. It's opportunity, not obligation. Obligations don't motivate us too much, do they? I mean, think about all the things you're obligated to do. Does anybody here get excited about paying taxes? No. Does anybody here get excited about going to the dentist? You know? I can't think of anything worse. You know? I don't want to offend any, any dentist here. You know? If you're an oral hygienist, I'm so sorry. I just don't enjoy going to the dentist. There's certain things that you do because you are obligated. You have to do it. But you don't love to do it. But this woman has a completely different mindset. She brings a sacrificial gift to Jesus because she's excited about it. She's enthusiastic about it. Did you know that giving sacrificially can be pleasurable? It can, it can be a blessing. It can be exciting. It can be joyful. That's why Paul said God loves a cheerful giver. And she pours out this extravagant generosity on Jesus and she breaks this jar. It doesn't have one of those cool screw-on lids, you know. She breaks the top of it. It's preserved for a very special occasion. It's extremely expensive and she douses Jesus with it. I mean, she doesn't just give Jesus a few little dabs. She's got that, she's got that perfume all over the place. I mean, the whole room just is infused with the aura of this beautiful fragrance and this extravagant gift to Jesus. It's beautiful. Today, um, a lot of celebrities have their own fragrances. Jessica Simpson's got her own fragrance. Katy Perry, Rihanna, Ariana Grande, Taylor Swift. It's like, if you're like, really a celeb, you have your own fragrance. Not only can you sing, but you've also got this certain perfume. And uh, if you're a man, Bruce Willis has got his own fragrance out. Would anybody like to smell like Bruce? You know, maybe somebody would. Um, Michael Jordan's got his own, his own cologne. Okay, be like Mike. 
David Beckham. Okay, see, some of you thought he just did the underwear. He's got his own cologne, too. Please don't think too much about that. Rob Lowe, he's got his own fragrance. But here's the greatest man fragrance. Okay, you're going to love this. You're going to be so glad you came to church today. Because the 70s and 80s rock band Kiss, they put out their own fragrance. And it's called Kiss Him by Kiss for Men. And it's got pictures, you know, on the bottle of, you know, Kiss rocking with their makeup and all that stuff, you know. And if you want to smell like Gene Simmons or Ace Freely or Paul Stanley, you know, check it out, man. You may like it. It's like $3.99 for a big bottle of that. But see, guess what? All that celeb fragrance, that's the cheap stuff. What Jesus was getting was the expensive stuff. He was getting the Versace, the Clive Christian, the Hermes, or the Joy by Jean Pateau, or something else from Paris that you cannot pronounce. That was the kind of fragrance that Jesus was being doused with. And some may have thought, what an incredible waste. But Jesus received her worship. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 speaks to us a little bit about, about giving. It says, don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves the person who gives cheerfully. In other words, it's opportunity, it's not obligation. Gina and I had been married a few years. I swung by the store to pick up some flowers to give her one, uh, one Friday evening. And when I was checking out, the lady that was at the cash register, she looked at me with a scowl on her face and kind of an attitude. She put her hand on her hip. She goes, all right, what did you do? And I said, well, excuse me? She says, no, like, what did you do? You're buying flowers. You did something wrong. Tell me what you did. And my first thought was, man, she's a man hater. You know, I was like, I didn't do anything. I just love my wife. I just want to give her some flowers. Please, don't hate me. I'm not angry. <laughs> and we had this little back and forth because this lady didn't believe that people just gave because they wanted to. Sometimes we put giving in the category of obligation. God says opportunity. This was an opportunity to worship the Son of God. The cynics stood around and watched, and they missed the whole thing. This woman had a worship experience like she had never known before, maybe like very few people have ever experienced, but it happened out of her generosity. Generosity is a big thing with God. It's a big expression of worship. We know that God wants us to be tithers. The tithe is the first 10% of our income. God says, keep 90, give at least 10 to me. That's the tithe, the 10th portion. The offering is what we choose to give above the tithe. And we have special offerings here at Edge Church. Sometimes God may just put it on your heart to give an offering. And we give offerings anytime or at a special time. Um, but this is something, this is a different expression. This is a different type of giving, and I want you to see this. This is what we would put into the category of sacrificial giving. Sacrificial giving. I mean, there are times and seasons where God asks us to do things that are above and beyond what is normal. You can't give sacrificially all the time, 
But you can give sacrificially sometimes. And we're, we have this building today because the people of Edge Church gave sacrificially. Some of you were a part of that. And it's a beautiful and a wonderful thing. There's a fragrance of worship that's in this building, in this place, that reminds us of so much sacrifice. Sometimes God leads us to postpone certain purchases or to sell assets or to make changes in our lifestyles or whatever it may be so we can do something extraordinary for God. And this is what this woman did and what she brought to Jesus was beautiful because we could never pay God back for all that he has done for us. There was also extravagant love. The woman loves Jesus. Jesus loves the woman. Look at this right here in Luke chapter 7. Now Jesus is trying to bring the Pharisees along. Jesus sees the woman's response. He's like, okay, the woman gets it. All right, let me try to help Simon the Pharisee because he's slow. So this is what he says. Jesus replied to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. He said, well, say it, teacher. The creditor had two debtors. One owed, owed five hundred denarii and the other 50 so since they could not pay it back he graciously forgave them both so which of them will love more simon answered i suppose the one he that he forgave more you have judged correctly he told him turning to the woman he said to simon do you see this woman i have entered your house you gave me no water for my feet but she with her tears has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she has not stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. And then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this man? Whoever, who is he that even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So Jesus is trying to help the Pharisee understand what's going on. Who had the bigger debt? If you had a big debt and that was forgiven, would you be more grateful than the person who had a little debt that was forgiven? And obviously this woman had a big debt. She had a very big debt. But again, Simon the Pharisee is hung up on this idea. Can Jesus even forgive sins? He doesn't get it. But he is watching this beautiful expression of love. And one of the most important and ironic aspects of Jesus' ministry is that sinners felt so safe around Jesus. The shady people... The questionable people, they loved Jesus. In fact, the only time that Jesus ever said anything like really harsh was to the religious establishment. Jesus was tough on those guys because they were so hypocritical. But tax collectors who stole money, people who were considered ceremonially unclean and were outcast because of their disease and their physical conditions, prostitutes, those people were like magnets to Jesus. They loved Jesus because Jesus was showing extravagant love 
to them. One of our mottos here at Edge Church is no perfect people allowed. And the reason that we say that is based in passages of Scripture like Luke chapter 7. That's why we welcome so many diverse types of people to Edge Church. That's why we love so many different kinds of people is because God has first loved us. Our our mission statement, people helping people find and follow Christ. We want people to experience the grace that has transformed us. Now this woman lets her hair down and this is very symbolic Um, This is a symbol of intimacy. Women always wore their hair up. The only time you wore your hair down is if you you were with your husband. This was a a sign of intimacy. And clearly, um, the the encounter that this woman has with Jesus is not sexual. But it represents an intimacy of soul before God. She is saying to Jesus, you see all of me and accept me as I am. And so there's a beautiful picture that we see here in the fact that this woman wipes his feet with her hair. Grace is not accepting someone's sinful lifestyle. It means loving them and embracing them in spite of their lifestyle. We kind of live in a culture where, where we're taught that you have to affirm people's behavior or you have to alienate yourself from people's behavior And you have to be in this category or that category. But Jesus brings a different approach. He has a third perspective. It's the perspective of grace. Jesus doesn't affirm the woman for her prostitution, but he does love her. He shows grace. And grace is telling people the truth without destroying your relationship with them. Isn't that beautiful? Christian people should be the most grace-filled people on the planet. We ought to have relationships with all kinds of diverse peoples. We ought to do it. It's the heart of Jesus. It's the heart of Jesus. And we can do that without affirming bad behavior. And we can do it without alienating ourselves from people that we feel like are not measuring up. We respond in grace. You know, one of the mis- most misunderstood verses in the Bible is, is uh, Matthew chapter 7, where it says, Judge, lest not you be judged. And so people quote that Bible verse and they say, You know, don't ever tell me that I'm doing something wrong because the Bible says, Don't judge me. You know, the context of that verse is not never speaking up or trying to help people out of sin, or telling people things that they've done are wrong. That's not the context of it. Jesus is talking about having a super spiritual critical attitude that's creeping around trying to find fault with people. That's what Jesus is. Jesus corrected people all the time. Read the Gospels. Jesus was always calling people out. But he says, listen, don't be the person that's hiding in the bushes trying to find fault with people. Don't do that. And he teaches that in Matthew chapter 7 in the Sermon on the Mount. So we've got to understand all of that. I can't help but wonder how this woman became a prostitute. We can't be sure. The Bible doesn't tell us. But maybe it would help us to be a little more compassionate if we understood. Maybe she was sold into some kind of slavery by her parents. Maybe her husband died Maybe uh, she was left all alone. Women in the ancient world didn't work. They didn't really have careers. 
maybe she had a massive amount of debts. Uh, maybe she tried to make some money for a while some other ways and she couldn't do it. Uh, none of this justifies being a prostitute, but it does make us a little bit more compassionate to maybe think for a moment what life would be like living in her shoes. Do you see it? This is, this is grace. This is grace. A little compassion, a little understanding. And Luke says, I see you first as a woman. This is the heart of Jesus. And Jesus said, this is how I see you too. What Jesus sees in our life is not that we're divorced or that we've been raped or we've been abused or that we're proud or we have an addiction or that we have some kind of pain or sin in our past. He sees us as people he loves by his grace. Did you know God loves you? God loves you. And because of God's great love for us, our circle should expand. Our relationships should be broader. Statistics tell us that the longer that people are Christians, the longer people are involved in church, the less likely they are to be involved in the lives of people that are not believers. That's really a sad thing. I mean, think about it. If we have all the light segregated into one little place, then everywhere we go, we have the darkness. But the heart of Jesus is not to be isolationist. The heart of Jesus is to be interacting with and sharing the amazing love of Jesus. So this week, I want you to expand your circle. I want you to bring some people to Easter services next weekend that are like this woman in Luke chapter 7. They're going to have a great time. When I bring my unchurched friends to church, they always have a great time. Even if they don't choose to follow Christ, they enjoy being here. I can tell you that. And you guys know that too. What a great opportunity we have. Isn't it exciting to be a part of a people-reaching kind of church? A grace-centered church? A church that has a heart for the community and for reaching people? That's the heart of Jesus. Grace is the thing that made me get it. Passionate worship, sacrificial giving, extravagant love. They all come from understanding the grace of the Savior. Will you pray with me for just a moment?